Hi, everybody. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have a rather interesting episode of Mormonish today, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely. Uh, we went to the movie The Oath. Uh, for those who have uh, not heard of that, it's a big screen LDS movie production, probably the biggest yet to ever come out. It's playing in like 600 theaters. Mm -hmm. Just opened on Friday. So we're going to talk about it because that's, that's right. We are going to. I'm sorry, Landon. Go ahead. That's what we do. I said, so. that's what we do. That's exactly right. So, and I have to say, we've tried to tape this a couple of times. I think that this episode might be cursed. What do you think? We've had, uh, some so. they shouldn't call it the oath. They should call it the curse. Yes. The curse. So we're going to do the best we can because we know this is a timely episode, but boy, have we had some technical issues here. So as Landon said, the movie, the oath, and we are just going to kind of dive in and figure out what this is all about. And we did attend the movie. So we do have some perspectives to share there. So let's go go to our first slide or I guess our second slide. Okay. So what is the oath all about? Um, online, it says uh, 400 AD in a forgotten time in ancient America, a lone Hebraic fugitive must preserve the history of his fallen nation while being hunted by a ruthless tyrant, but rescuing the King's abused mistress could awaken a warrior's past. So that's a very intriguing little blurb there, isn't it, Landon? It, it is. It's, uh, you know, this is based on Moroni, uh, the angel, the last uh, Moroni. And uh, it, it's it's filmed based on Heartland model. It's it's basically oh, yeah. New York is where they film it. Yeah. Very limited cast. It's probably got about 12 characters in the whole thing. Uh, but uh yeah, based on 400 AD, and they uh, they don't disguise too much uh, uh, about it being from the Book of Mormon. Uh, during the movie, they do bring up that it's, uh, you know, that it was translated by a young boy in upstate New York in 1820 and became the Book of Mormon, the fourth most influential book uh, in America, according to the Library of Congress, and they, they flaunt that pretty good. So it's definitely a story about Moroni, but it's a love story. <laughs> it's a love story. And we're going to dive into everything Lana oh. just said. This is, it's really interesting. It has a PG-13 rating for violent content, which we'll talk about that too. Um, it's adventure, action, history, drama, romance is its genre. And let's see, it was just released on Friday. Of course, a pre-release in LA. We'll show some pictures from that. And it was about 144 minutes long. And the director is... Darren Scott. So we will get into all of this. Let's go to our next slide. Okay. So what we thought we'd do first is we'll show you, and probably most of you have seen this trailer. This trailer has been out for a while, very intriguing. And we will show you the trailer, just some clips from it, of course, just to kind of give you the flavor of what it's about. And we'll link the entire trailer in the show notes so that you can watch the whole thing. So let's see if we can get this working just to show just a few little bits and pieces from that trailer. Know this, Moroni. 
Blessed Father. Mahigana will tear this world apart. I seal this record unto you. Till she finds your secret record. And unto he who will one day discover it unto the world. He came to them. He came to our fathers. And all of your lives, and your fathers, and your fathers' fathers will be erased. for all the lives you've taken in cold blood so as you can see it's a very provocative uh trailer and i think a lot of us were really intrigued wondering what that would be all about did you feel that way yeah absolutely it it looks kind of like braveheart maybe uh or gladiator uh they kind of really make it look quite action-packed uh so uh the movie though in itself was really quite different than what i expected Yes, I think we will talk about that. So first, let's try to do a little discussion of the background of the oath, because we were so curious before it opened. What is this exactly? So if we go to our next slide, um, first of all, we learned that the director was Darren Scott. Um, it says he is an American actor, a writer, a director of English, Scottish, and German descent, born in the small town of Vernal, Utah. That's part of his uh, bio. We've, we've found others where, you know, there's a longer story about his acting career and everything. But uh, the one thing we noticed that was interesting is that he's also listed as Darren Southam. And so it kind of goes back and forth and how you can find him online, um, either Darren Scott or Darren Southam. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and we'll talk a little later about why that is uh exactly so he has a long list of uh, credits of things that he's done and he's done a lot of church films hasn't he landon he has he's been in uh the oath he's been in uh, carthage uh come unto me ephraim's rescue he's played hiram smith he's mm -hmm. even played jesus so this is a bit of a step down for him to just play oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's look at our next slide where we have some pictures of the different characters that he's played. There you go. Yeah. So he definitely has been in a lot of, I mean, not produced by the church, but I don't think they were produced by the church, but things that were produced, you know, which with an LDS theme. And I've heard of all of these movies before. Hadn't you, Landon? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. uh, and he's so also done stuff that's not church films. He was mm -hmm. in Yellowstone. Yep. Uh, yep. So he, he he's a professional actor. This is what yeah. he does. So he was in this film, he was the director, he was the actor, he was the writer. I he, I think he may have even done something with the music. It seems like he was uh, had his hands in everything on this uh, yeah. movie. That's pretty impressive. Okay, so as we researched a little bit farther, um, the early stages of the film, we discovered that there had been a campaign to get this funded going on for about 13 years, I think is what we discovered. And there had been a short produced years ago um, to try to get funding, which was called The Reign of Judges, Title of Liberty. Um, and this video, you can look it up online. Um, it's sort of a sh concept short to show potential investors what this film might be about. And so here it says it will be about the desperate struggle for freedom chronicled in the Book of Mormon. It's a compelling and riveting story to bring to the silver screen. But what we noticed that was interesting is what about the Moroni? Well, the, the the original movie was going to be based on Captain Moroni, uh, and it was it's quite a bit different. The original intent was that they were going to produce a movie called Reign of Judges, Title of Liberty. This was going to be an epic movie, 
uh, of the grand battle of the Book of Mormon with Captain Moroni and his war strategies and how he defends liberty and stands up for freedom and justice for all. Um, that they wanted to produce this $40 million budget movie. That was their original intent. So he started raising money for Reign of Judges, and it be, uh, you know, he was able to raise just enough money uh, to do a, a very short, to give a kind of a concept, this is what the film's going to be like. Uh, so he put put it on Kickstarter. It was one of the most successful Kickstarter mm -hmm. uh, uh, for an for a independent film ever. 1.5%, uh, top 1.5% of Kickstarters for, for, a, bud, for a, a movie. Uh, unfortunately, they only raised about $270,000 which was not enough to produce a reign of judges far short of the $40 million that they're looking for. So a lot of the people who invested in this film was expecting this, this great production, $40 million production of uh, Captain Moroni and his battle for freedom. That's not quite what they got. <laughs> no, in fact, it's a different Moroni. <laughs> it's Angel Moroni, not Captain Moroni. Although there are some scenes with sort of a ghostly Captain Moroni that comes to visit to kind of inspire because um, he's wearing the battle helmet. But yeah, a, very, a different subject matter altogether. Um, he also apparently went, Darren, went to the Firm Foundation Expo, part of the Book of Mormon Evidence Conference. And he was there, looks like, showing some clips from The Oath, the movie that was eventually um, produced. Well, so I think he showed the actual program. film, but it oh, was did he not, show the whole thing? It, it wasn't uh, in its okay. final, okay. Uh, uh, but people got to see it, which his first showing is at the Firm Foundation Book of Mormon Evidence. Uh, I, I don't know how a movie <laughs> about Mormon uh, or Moroni and a love affair is a Book of Mormon Evidence, but... Uh, they did show it, and I think a lot of the people here may have been some of the uh, initial investors. Mm -hmm. We read some of the some of the reviews on this uh, after the first showing at the expo, and of course, you can't say you don't like it because you're Mormon, and you can't ever say you don't like something uh, Mormon. But you could tell they def definitely were surprised because instead of an epic uh, Captain Moroni battle scene for freedom. It turned into a uh, the last Moroni love story with a uh, with a Lamanite mistress to the king, and uh, it's got about twelve people in it, uh, and, and is basically a love story, uh, but not really a love story. <laughs> it's a love story like no other love story I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so hard to describe. I know. And we, when we were planning this episode, we thought, we, do we just describe the whole thing or do we tell people to go see it themselves? I don't know. We're trying to land somewhere in the middle because we don't want to give it all away, but it was definitely different from what we, we expected. But I guess the bottom line here is that, yes, he went out, he fundraised, he produced the oath, and he showed its first little kind of rough draft at the Book of Mormon Evidences conference. And and the oath uh, is really about Moroni taking an oath not to fight. Yes. Uh, an oath of peace. Yes. And then he ends up having to fight at the end, of course. Of course. Uh, but the, the whole thing went from a major battle epidemic to a guy who took an oath of peace <laughs> and, and, and a love story. So it's quite a bit different than what it started out for. And I think a lot of people uh, who, who probably invested in the film were going, what, what's this? This isn't mm -hmm. what we had in mind. So. Yeah, that's probably true. 
Um, so it did have an LA opening, which was a week prior to the December 8th opening. And here they all are on the red carpet. I had some friends that attended and, you know, reported back that it was a big, you know, star studded. <laughs> it was a premiere in, in LA. We'll say that. And at that point, we started looking for some reviews for it because we thought, okay, it opened in LA, but we didn't find too much um, at that point, it wasn't until we got closer. So, but then something really unusual happened. Um, a few days prior to the opening in 600 theaters all across the United States, all of a sudden this video appears, and this is from the director, producer, actor Darren Scott, and it seems to be it's called an open letter to um, the church, and he seems to be kind of talking to the LDS Church just about how he perceives perhaps a slight. Um, of his film. So we're going to play just a little bit of this. The other thing I should mention is that soon after the opening or right around the opening, this video was taken down. So this was up for just a very short time and then it disappeared. And and he did invite the church, uh, the church's PR firm mm -hmm. to come and preview the movie mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, was hoping to get a thumb, uh, an enthusiastic thumbs up from the mm -hmm. church. And I think he did not get that. And by enth enthusiastic thumbs up, I think not only did he want their support, but he also wanted um, he, he wanted some financial uh, right. support for the film as well. Hello, everyone. I hope you find yourselves happy and well. I don't do this very often, but I have something to say and it gives me no pleasure to say it. But I've come to the conclusion this is the only way to, I hope, bridge understanding and bring about positive change specifically within my church. So that's him, uh, kind of his opening. Uh, and then he gets uh, a little bit uh, uh, negative with it, uh, as we can see. The making of the oath was an arduous 13-year journey involving over 70 souls, nearly all of whom are not members of my church. My public relations, marketing, and distribution teams for the oath are likewise almost all not members of my church. I'm honored to belong to a church that does so much good in a world where goodness is so desperately needed, which is why it's difficult for me to say what I'm about to say. But as the captain of so many industry professionals laboring diligently to support a film inspired by scripture they do not espouse, I believe they need answers from the church which does. So he seems disappointed uh, by the fact that the uh, that the church uh, doesn't seem to be wanting to support a movie uh, that is about uh, about LDS uh, themed Book of Mormon. Uh, right. Their own scripture. Right. He seems confused that there isn't some kind of mention, maybe in the paper, the church news, something like that. Do we have one final clip from this? In behalf of my most excellent team, I ask my church earnestly. Why would anyone outside our faith help any positive endeavor for our faith? Knowing our own church will stand by and say nothing of the effort. Such a plight would seem almost inconceivable if it wasn't our present reality. So hopefully from those clips, they were a little, you know, just here and there, but you got the sense that what he's saying is he hasn't seen any support from the church for this yet. He hasn't seen something on the church news. He hasn't seen anybody come out and endorse it. And he lists many other um, projects. He specifically talks about Love Loud that the church did support. And so he's questioning 
why is there no support for this when it's about the church's scripture? And then at the end, he's sort of saying, gosh, if we can't get support for this, that doesn't bode well for any other project. So he does just seem really confused as to why the church would not um, give any, even any mention of this movie. Is that how you took it? Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, he talked about that the church is supporting these uh, even Book of Mormon musical. They took mm -hmm. out full page ads to say, now that you've seen the the uh, play or the musical, now read the book. Right. And yet here he produces a book, a, a, a movie completely from the Book of Mormon based on the Book of Mormon, and he gets no financial support whatsoever. And he's saying the enemies of the church uh, that wrote the Book of Mormon musical are getting support from you, but I'm not. And he even went so far, uh, I think there were some youth groups that were going to go and watch this as a youth group. And uh, the church told him, no, you're, you're, you're not going to do that. That's not an appropriate activity to, to go to. So uh, I think that's what drove him to this point. Of course, it was removed uh, within a day, uh, but he was clearly putting this out saying, uh, shame on you, church, for not supporting uh, a, a movie of this, of, of this level opening in 600 different theaters, and you're not willing to support it in any way. Yeah. And, and Landon and I talked about this. I mean, there's, I think there's some very obvious reasons why they might not come out on a, one of them Landon touched on before. And that is this movie is clearly a Heartland model movie. That means there is some disagreement among people as to where the events, if you take the Book of Mormon historically took place. When I was growing up, when Landon was growing up, it was all Mesoamerica. I mean, there were Book of Mormon tours down to South America. It was absolutely in South America. Recently, however, now they're revisiting things and there's something called the Heartland model, meaning that it all took place in New York State area, United States. And this movie, what were some of the things you saw in the movie that indicated to us that this was definitely Heartland model? Oh, yeah, there were uh, definitely uh, the animals. They had bears mm -hmm. and wolves and and animals that were clearly from uh, uh, the, the upstate New York area. Mm -hmm. Uh, it looked very much like uh, the last of the Mohicans. In fact, yeah. I think one of the uh, one, one of the reviewers even said they they called it, you know, last of the Nephites. Uh, oh. It was almost a tale that looked like the last of the Mohicans uh, in, in its telling. There were pine trees. It was a pine forest. It was very much uh, an American. Uh, uh, it, it was being portrayed in America. It was, there was no doubt. Right. And of course, the church will never weigh in either side because they have faithful members on both sides that firmly believe it took place in Mesoamerica or firmly believe that it took place in the heartland. So they're probably never going to weigh in on that. Um, the other thing that we thought probably was something to do with um, some of the themes in the movies definitely portrayed, you know, light <laughs> Nephites darker Lamanites, you know, there were some tones of racism that we'll get into later. Um, but, but we could see, we could see right away why we thought the church might've distanced itself from it. So the next thing that happened after that was pulled down is that we went to see the movie. We did. <laughs> this is that you can see, we've got our drinks, we have our popcorn bucket and we're just staring at the screen going, what is happening? <laughs> and, and I have to describe that, you know, we saw it in Utah. And so it was, pretty packed. And I've heard reports all over the rest of Utah that it was packed. I think other places outside of Utah, um, I've seen people taking pictures, uh, you know, of when you try to buy seats and there's like one seat sold. So I don't know that it's doing so well outside of Utah. In fact, I think we read that opening day, it grossed. What was that number that we came across? Uh, $115,000. Or something like that. $115,000. Yeah. So 
So we did go to the movie. And again, we're wrestling on how much to describe. But what would you say were your overall just impressions of it to begin with? Well, let me let me say this. Um, I can see why the church would not put money into this mm -hmm. because not not only was it the Heartland model, it was just really a bad movie. <laughs> oh. Wow, you're not subtle at all, are you, Landon? <laughs> it, it, it was so hard to follow. I knew yeah. the story and I couldn't follow the story because half of the story didn't come from the Book of Mormon to begin with. And he's jumping all over the place. Yeah. It was very hard to follow uh, the story. Uh, you know, we, we read kind of an overview of what the movie is. If I were to describe this movie uh, and I were to give you an overview, it would go uh, white Christian man in, in four, 400 AD America uh, love story with a Lamanite uh, or an Indian woman who speaks Blackfoot uh, <laughs> language who he fall in love as he teaches them to read reformed Egyptian. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the, the woman is brutally murdered <laughs> with their unborn Spoiler. son impregnates. Uh, yeah. And then after taking an oath of peace, he then uh, exacts his revenge. And that's basically wow. the, the, the story in a nutshell. Uh, you, you it's no wonder nobody understands what's going on. <laughs> you should be a movie reviewer, Landon. But no, you brought up a good point at the beginning. A lot of reviews that I read from people that are not um, associated with Mormonism are like, it seemed like everybody knew there was a backstory we needed to understand it. And mm -hmm. that's true. When I look at the screen, I instantly recognize this is a Book of Mormon character. Uh, you know, other people are like, is this, who is this? They don't actually say the name Moroni until, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, even longer, I think maybe into the movie. So you definitely would need backstory information. There were certainly disturbing, you know, like Landon said, very white uh, Moroni and then the Lamanites are depicted, you know, as very dark. And what I noticed right away, interesting in the language was that Moroni seemed to speak perfect English. Um, the Lamanites were depicted something that you might have seen in an old Western in the 40s or 50s. You know, I want learn, you teach me, you know, things like that. I, I even I have a hard time even saying that. But if you understand what I'm saying, it was a very stippy, stereotypical dialogue. And he does come across this mistress of the Lamanite king who's been kicked out and he takes her and, you know, rehabilitates her and teaches her to read, teaches her chastity, modesty, you know, which again is another terrible stereotype. And it's interesting because when he first finds her, she has a shirt kind of like mine on, and then he's able to give her new clothes where literally the fabric is maybe one, one inch is the difference between you know, being a skanky hoe. And, <laughs> and all this time they're house. living in a cave, just the two of them. There's yes. nobody else around. Yes. So, uh. yes, absolutely. So, but, but those things, those themes aside, it was just, there were a lot of montages of sort of dream sequences and things that were very, it was just very confusing overall, even yeah, for somebody that knew. Cap, the yes, ghost of the Captain ghost. Moroni keeps appearing mm -hmm. throughout mm -hmm. and you're going... Who is this guy? <laughs> who is this? Yeah, I didn't realize it until you pointed out that's who it was. And there were words like freedom, liberty that would kind of show up, different quotes and things like that. So I think they were trying to continue on some of the themes of, that the original movie was supposed to be all about, that title of liberty. But this, of course, was a love story. So Moroni spent a lot of time teaching. And the Lamanite uh, mistress, her name was Bathsheba, of course, teaching Bathsheba 
you know, what was in the record of the forefathers. And of course, she had a very different narrative growing up as a Lamanite. You know, of course, her narrative was that they had been wronged by the brother, you know, the tale of the two original brothers. They left out um, Lemuel. It was just Nephite and Laman. Um, but yeah, he she could read. She could already sort of read. Couldn't she land him when she got there? Yeah. And then he kind of taught her more about the record and about Jesus. And, and then, of course, she converted, I guess, to Christianity is, is kind of what it implied. They they had some ceremonies when they got married. Did you get that sense that I mean, yes, she yes, definitely he, espoused he was, his religion? He, he married married himself. I didn't I didn't see a baptism uh, no. ever happen or anything like that. So that that's why, you, you know, you talked about they definitely threw in emotion words that, you know, to make it like Braveheart. Yeah. But it was it, it was poorly done. It, it didn't work. You know, he yeah, he, he yells out freedom, you know, kind of yeah. like uh, something out of Gladiator or Braveheart or something like that. But he's living in the woods by himself, the last of his people. I'm not sure who he's fighting for freedom for other than himself at this point. <laughs> And he's already out by himself, so uh, <laughs> it, it just didn't work. And then, you know, as they're as they're about to 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 kill him, and and they say any last words, and he, Jesus, and up on the screen, you know, and it, it's translated Jesus, and you're yeah. going, four hundred A.D. Jesus in the mid in, in America, everyone's you know that's not familiar with this story is just going. What? what is happening? <laughs> yeah, and that was reflected in some of the reviews. And he, his, uh, the person he was fighting against was a Lamanite king named Aaron, and um, he, for some reason, had a Scottish accent, yeah. almost like a pirate. So he'd say things like "Your fathers, fathers, fathers." Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was very. I mean, and this was know, Billy Zane, who is this was a, Billy Zane, a, a, yep. a known actor. Yep. Uh, yep. So. They they did get some big names in there, and one of the uh -huh. other ones, uh, his last name's Eagle Rock. Uh, I, I can't remember his yeah. first name, but in order for him to play it, he he was questioning whether he should play in it, and he made an agreement after talking to some of his people that if he could, if if they could use the the, the Blackfoot language for the language of the of the natives, then he would play the part. So you get this weird mix of of Blackfoot language mixed in with Hebrew, Hebrew. and Reformed Egyptian. It's just crazy. <laughs> but it's not crazy if you grew up like I grew up so, <laughs> or you grew up. So now I will say cinematically, there were some beautiful shots. I will say that there were some gorgeous shots of a meadow that struck me and um, waterfalls cinematically like that visually there were some beautiful shots and i will also say the soundtrack was beautiful however um it was non-stop there was non-stop mm -hmm. elevated emotion cinematic music throughout the entire thing almost without a pause but i did appreciate the music and i did think visually there were some elements that worked but again just so confused exactly i mean when i say confused i mean literally confused like really landon i was saying what did, did that. I mean, and, and normally we don't have that experience in a movie. Normally, if you don't understand a specific part, the context will eventually reveal what that was supposed to mean or maybe what you personally missed. But there were lots of holes in it that we just we couldn't really understand. <laughs> I, I went to the movie uh, thinking, OK, uh, I'll get a few laughs out of this and the inaccuracies yeah. of the historic and how they portray it. I didn't laugh at all. Mm -hmm. I was I was serious. disturbed. Yes, I was confused. Mm -hmm. uh, it 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 was not what what 
in any manner what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And you could even tell at the end, you got this, you know, it's you could tell that it's a theater in Utah County on a Friday night. People went to see the oath. This is a highly LDS audience. And they're kind of going, you got these weird claps like uh, I, I need to clap because it's the Book of Mormon, right. but I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah. And, and what you said about it being dark. And again, I think this is why you've been having trouble even preparing to podcast about this, which is why I said the podcast is cursed or something, because we did think it was going to be more lighthearted just in the way that we could talk about it. You know, you see a silly movie and you can kind of talk about it in a tongue in cheek way, but you can't really do that about this because it did leave us both very disturbed. And it took us a while to figure out why that was exactly. And we'll get to that for a minute, but there were children in the audience and the director has said, an actor producer, Darren has said several times, this is a family movie, rent out a theater for Christmas. Um, there was a brutal murder it didn't show the murder, but it definitely showed a deceased body with blood. It showed an unborn baby. I mean, a part, a hand. Um, I don't know if children would understand that or or even know what that was about. So yeah, that was very disturbing. The unborn child and the hand uh, mm -hmm. that had to have been cut out of the mother. Uh, okay. Less developed. Okay. And, okay. Yeah, it okay. Was it, it, it was disturbing, yes. It was uh, disturbing, right. And that, of course, had to be shown to show why Moroni, not Captain Moroni, Angel Moroni, who had put away his armor and his sword, had to go get those out again so that he could then, you know, revenge the death of his wife, revenge the death of his unborn child, and kill, try to kill the Lamanite king. And the whole silly thing about it is, is that his wife is a Lamanite woman, who the entire, you know, the entire premise of the Book of Mormon was that the Lamanites were yeah. cursed, so they wouldn't intermarry. Mm -hmm. So this goes completely contrary to the narrative of the Book of Mormon, that right. Captain Moroni falls in love and marries a Lamanite woman, because yeah. that's the whole reason, supposedly, that there was a curse put upon the people. Uh, but they don't want to go there in the movie, obviously. <laughs> no, they don't want to go there. So that's kind of a little overview of just, you know, some of the plot and, and what we were thinking while we were there. And then we sort of dug in a little bit more. We have a couple more slides to go through. So then everyone's seeing the movie and the reviews start rolling in. And uh, we got these, of course, off of social media. And I was checking Rotten Tomatoes the whole time, you know, to see what's going on with it. I'm just very curious. Do you want to read some of these? the movie poster yeah we the, did not make these we found these on social media yeah we found these after other people had seen it you know this one you know they start uh and and i can't quite read who the people were you have to kind of read underneath who it is right you know it's like aggressively bad clunkily dull and undercooked solemn repetitive and unexciting the movie's rubbish oscar worthy i think that one says something like uh his bishop, bishop. yes his bishop yeah, yeah sponge worthy uh another a one president <laughs> and makes fun of and it, it was it was kind of a weird uh a lone herit a lone hebraic fugitive prepares the world for the coming of the orange messiah teaches the savages about true democracy and shacks up with a local jezebel to teach chastity <laughs> yeah and i guess we should explain this one of course and this is they've changed the name to the oath keepers um there is the direct darren himself was involved i guess we should say in in january 6th there's you can read about that. You can go find information about that. So, of course, some people made the connection where this movie is about freedom and oaths and covenants and things like that. And so this is tongue in cheek about that. But that was another element to it that you definitely saw 
reflected in the film and its content and themes. And 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 yeah, you made note that uh, that he was involved in the January sixth mm -hmm. uh, Capitol uh, incident where you know they tried to overthrow the government or undo the election. And it was after that that uh, he changed his name to oh. Southam rather than or to Scott. The other way around. Southam yeah. to Scott, um, uh, because I, I think possibly because he was involved in that, there were supposedly videos of his participation, and uh, and now he's trying to produce a movie about this, and all of a right. sudden his name is different. So yeah, uh, we we don't know for sure the whole, but that was some of the things that it looked like as we as we read through mm -hmm. different comments about him changing his name yeah and some people um so like i said i went on uh, <laughs> rotten tomatoes it actually had 33 percent before and then it went down to 29 percent. i i haven't looked today so who knows where it's at now and i was actually thinking the audience score would be pretty high um i have seen some videos out there saying audience reacts to the oath and you know there's positive reactions from people so here on rotten tomatoes so far i don't see any audience score but 29 percent from critics and so I read through all the reviews. They were very interesting. And there was one in particular, I think that might be, oh, here we go. Okay, here are some of the ones. Um, I'll read the first two, then you can read the next two. Um, it's it's certainly no sillier in any way um, that I could see than say Conan the Barbarian or Lord of the Rings flicks. And it's at least as heartfelt. So that was somebody that gave it a positive review with a tomato. Um, here's a less than positive review. The fact that in terms of subject matter, this is an unusual film doesn't mean it's a good one. It's solemn, repetitive, and unexciting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Michael Clark from Epic Times said, at various points resembling Gladiator, The Passion of the Christ, Dances with Wolves, The Last of the Mohicans, and Braveheart, The Oath mixes elements of drama, action, romance, and fantasy to stirring effect. Hmm. So uh, an, another... Uh, uh, positive review. I'm not sure right. what the Epic Times is, um, it, but uh, uh, another one, Art House Film Wire said, I appreciate the filmmaker's intentions, but pledging to watch The Oath may cause severe regrets. Oh, there he goes. Okay. And we'll talk about that a little later too. So um, I'll read the first. You can read the second. Um, this is Avi Offer, the New York City movie guru. Uh, clunky, dull, and undercooked while very low on thrills, suspense, and emotional depth. Hmm. And Roger Moore, not 007, uh, from <laughs> Movie Nation, says a limp, underfinanced, pre-Columbian, last of the Mohicans action adventure and a dull Mesoamerican thriller built on Mormonism's foundation myth with just enough magical thinking thrown in to make everything presented here play as eye-rolling hokum. <laughs> Ooh, he didn't miss any words, did he? My no, goodness. not at all. <laughs> and I think there are probably more reviews now at this point. We just had pulled these a couple of days ago, but... You know, people are kind of, like you said, Landon, they're comparing it to maybe Gladiator or Last of the Mohicans, but still a little confused. And there was one review that we thought we would actually read um, a few paragraphs from because, you know, one thing, even from the preview, both of us sort of thought there are just some undercurrents here that are really uncomfortable. And within the first scene or so of the movie, you have a scene of King Aaron's Lamanite court. And of course, it's a terrible stereotype. You know, they're drinking. It's, you know, sort of hedonism. Wouldn't you say that how it is? Yeah, was? Absolutely. You yeah. have two Native American women that start wrestling on the ground, you know, things like that, that I think most of us go, oh, well, this is, you know, this is quite an uncomfortable stereotype that we're seeing here. So we have a review from Jordan Mason, 
of, of Cinelinx. And I'll just read the first one. I think we have two or three paragraphs. Um, he writes, claims of racism. And he had written a really good comprehensive review. And then this is the final thing he wanted to talk about. And he says, I saved talking about this for last because, well, it could easily dominate the whole conversation. And I wanted to make it clear that the oath was already terrible, regardless of this next part. It's infuriatingly terrible towards Native Americans. Reminder, I am one. This is the reviewer talking. If you're not aware of the Mormon LDS background, the Lamanites the bad guys, are Native Americans. They fully lean into the tropes about savage, godless people who decimate the righteous Nephites, white people, causing their strife here in the Americas. The film does nothing to change this narrative despite casting actual Native Americans in a number of roles. Yay, I guess, he says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was it was clearly uh, portrayed that that very way that uh, right. anyone who was a native uh is uncultured un uh uncivilized mm -hmm. uh wicked evil and the, the the last white guy the only white guy is there to teach them morals and and correct right. behavior he you know he falls in love with this with this woman and the whole time he's teaching her the you know right ways which is clearly the white people way uh, to do things. Right. And he keeps going. Why don't you read the next one? Instead, it doubles down on the casual racism by incorporating a white savior narrative with the forced love story of Bathsheba seeing the light and renouncing her savage ways, a decision which sees God reward her with the pregnancy she's long wanted. I shit you not. <laughs> Probably and that's the my... review we're talking, not Lance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. That's right from the article. That's right. Probably my favorite part, however, comes near the end of the film. During the climactic battle, Moroni stops to lecture the natives about following a false king and how they should renounce their ways. Literally stops mid-fight scene to preach at the natives. Worse, it seemingly works as it prompts one of the main hunters to turn on King Aaron and her own brethren, embracing Moroni's teachings of Jesus Christ. It's all terrible and somehow made worse by the insistence they consulted local tribes to try and be as accurate as possible. <laughs> yep, those things are absolutely true. That is what happened in the movie. And and let's go to the last one. We had one last. I, I, I want to say something oh. about that last part where they where they consulted the uh, the local tribes. This was was just completely confusing because what they what they did is they tried to have the uh uh the the the, the woman in the in the in the film she was trying to teach him how to survive in the wilderness and yes. in the wild which made no sense because nephite grew up there no, i don't know yeah. why he didn't know how to survive and he'd been in this cave alone for years right but she's teaching him to shoot a bow and she's teaching yeah. And so she like teaches him to scare away a bear and all of this. And you're just going bears in the book of Mormon. I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe there's bears. Uh, there's horses. I know that aren't supposed to be yes. there, yes. but uh, it, 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 they, they kill a dog and sprinkle the blood to try a wolf to try. Right. To, and you're going, this may be accurate in how you keep a bear out of a camp, but it just did not work with book of Mormon. Uh, story and then again as i said with the language they're using native american language blackfoot language mm -hmm. for a tribe in upstate new york of exactly. lamanites that descended from the, are speaking blackfoot it, it, it just it made no sense 
whatsoever. No, they didn't get the note on DNA. Absolutely. And you're right, Morona, he, it was that stereotype, right? She had things to teach him that were savage things, you know, mm -hmm. kill this dog or dress up and scare a bear. Or here's, you know, he taught her the finer things of writing and reading, you know, so it was a very, like the a warped Eliza D Jesus letter. Yeah. Of, uh, White savior complex. Yep. Yes. Yep, absolutely. And she so rightfully corrects her wrong interpretation of yeah. her people being coming through Layman and how he and you know he's able to convince her that Layman was wrong, that Nephi was really the one that was chosen because he teaches her to read reformed Egyptian yeah, and she stays exactly. up all night reading the gold plates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and yeah, and I should say that that was another really interesting part throughout is and if you've watched our Dr. John Lundwell episodes about literacy um, in pre-Columbian American America in this movie they all wrote, you know, uh, Moroni picked up gold nuggets. He was smelting plates. They were very thick. Dr. Lundwell in this movie, the plates were thick. And then he was able to, to write on them, etch on them. She could read them. There were parchments. They carried little pieces of writing and scrolls in necklaces to share with each other. They were writing, they were reading. You know, it was, it was a completely literary movie and he lived in a cave and anytime he needed paper he just seemed to have paper and he had paper he needed it yeah. Yeah. yeah he had ancient scrolls from his ancestors with all kinds of you know pictures and writing and then he had the, and what was interesting to me is the golden plates they really were like a three ring binder mm -hmm. i mean he would you know kind of pop it open it put the page on close it i mean yep. it even kind of had the sound of a three ring binder so <laughs> all those things that most of us thought believed growing up but again, as the church kind of moves away from that narrative, I can see why they would want to distance themselves a little from this movie. So, but it definitely, definitely was a representation of what we were taught growing up. Although when they want to move away from it, he, he was accurate in that depiction that, uh, that the whites were supreme, you know, were supreme to the, to the Lamanites. Everything that he was trying to teach her were the underlines of the Book of Mormon. Right. Uh, it, it doesn't work in a modern uh, exactly. uh, society that doesn't understand that and doesn't know what the heck they're talking about. Uh, right. I, I think it's like the church would prefer that people not understand that those racist tones were and perhaps still are in the Book of Mormon. So to see it on the screen, you would think people would go, wait, is that what they believe? Do you know what yeah. I mean? You just don't want that revealed. The other funny thing about the golden plates is that they were very easy to carry. Bathsheba carried them. Moroni carried them like it was a purse, kind of swinging it by the rings. And as we know, what did, what did we estimate? 265 pounds, I think they were. I mean, these guys could just heft it like nobody's business. So that was kind of a funny part. Yeah, it, it absolutely was. So All right, let's go on. So, okay. So then at the end of the film, and I should say at the beginning of the film, Darren gave, you know, a nice little speech at the beginning about how he hoped everybody liked it and, and it was supposed to represent this and that. At the end, he came back on and did the same thing. And there was a big barcode that popped up on the screen. And he talked about the oath. He talked about how the oath is so important. And he wasn't necessarily talking about the movie at this point. He was directing everybody to go to this website where the website sells more tickets to the movie, of course. It's one of those pay it forward things. You can also buy it for others. But there was more to this oath um, than just a movie. Why don't you talk about that for a minute, Landon? This was really interesting. 
it not only interesting, but it was really disturbing yes. because it had so much tie in with what we've seen re recently with white Christian nationalism, mm -hmm. Mormon nationalism, mm -hmm. Tim Ballard. Mm -hmm. uh, this had all the undertones and all the underpinnings of uh, of this group. And you could tell that it was the same people um, who are who are behind these or who are funding these and are backing these. Uh, so when you go, this is the oath. They want you to go to the oath. They want you to sign the oath and make a pledge. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read it. Uh, so here's the oath that they want you to, to, uh, to agree to. We live in a divided, turbulent world where freedom, truth, and goodness are, under, uh, are controversial. No people, tribe, or nation can long stand that fails to maintain respect for their creator, for the laws of nature and nature's God. Such divine respect being necessary for any society united in goodness. As the absence of virtue leads to the dissolution of society, destruction, anarchy, and war, we, therefore, the undersigned, with respect and reverence to the Supreme Judge, make a solemn oath to change the world. We acknowledge such mighty change must begin within ourselves. Therefore, we, the undersigned, make this oath in solidarity with firm reliance on divine providence, seeking these virtues may prevail in our souls. Love over hate, understanding over judgment, common decency over incivility, selflessness over selfishness, sincerity over insincerity, humility over pride, gratitude over ingratitude, honesty over dishonesty, knowledge over ignorance, light over darkness, truth over deception, goodness over wickedness, holiness over unholiness, divinity over the demons in our own souls. To the fulfillment of this solemn oath, we summon the powers of the universe and the divine heritage within ourselves, with all our hope for goodness and honor to prevail. And to this end, we pledge our lives, our fortune, and our future to the betterment of our characters, to the elevation of our societies, and to the building of a better world. What a great... Uh, noble concept from people who stormed the Capitol building. Yeah. To, We're not going to go there. To overthrow a, a, yeah. an election and then to say that yeah. uh, freedom is controversial. I, I, I guess uh, it depends on the eye of the beholder. Uh, but we've seen this type of language over and over. In fact, you have a story that's, that's tied to this, that we made a connection that's very obvious uh, here. Yeah, I should probably tell that story again. So, and again, just reading this, these seem like nice sentiments, perhaps, but the overtones of the movie were so, just like what we've been seeing all over the place in social media with everything that, you know, um, Sound of Freedom and OUR was doing. It just, you know, and instead of the covenant, we're talking about an oath. I don't know. It, and it took us a while to figure out why we felt so unsettled by the movie. Uh, you know, there were different elements that we thought it might have been, but this, this really was it, this undercurrent that was here. And so it reminded me of an experience I had um, several summers ago, 4th of July, I've told this story before I was invited to a party Um, it was, I didn't know it had anything to do with Tim Ballard, but it was a party where there was entertainment. It was a 4th of July and suddenly there he was. I didn't really know much about him. He gave an impassioned speech. He passed out copies of the constitution to everybody in the audience. I mean, people were in tears, people were singing, you know, the national anthem. It was a very patriotic gathering. And then there was somebody there that had, was serving ice cream um patriotic ice cream it's too complicated to explain but anyway the bottom line was in order for us to go get this ice cream we had to sign an oath and it was 
I, I wish I would have taken a picture because I swear this sounds like almost exactly the very same wording, but it was a giant piece of paper, parchment looking. It was on a huge table. And before you could go get in line to get this patriotic ice cream, you had to sign your name to something like this, which on the surface sounds great. You know, be a better person, love, not hate, all of that. But but again, you just don't exactly know what you're signing or who you're signing it to. I, of course, signed it right away because I wanted ice cream and I have no moral moral uh, standards when it comes to getting ice cream. But but all, all uh, facetiousness aside, it was very interesting that it was a similar thing. And, and when you go online from that barcode, you do sign electronically. You put in your name and your email address if you'd like, and you sign electronically. This, what we're displaying here, is what you can print off and share with other people to sign. And I don't know, did we grab a sight of how many people had signed so far? There, there was several, 129 there people who had signed, so but you could see hundred. their names and everything mm -hmm. online. So yeah. once you sign, your name is out there for everybody to see that yeah. you signed this. Um, and, and I think we tried to make the connection between the party that you went to and 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 this. And we couldn't find that. We, we couldn't find anywhere where, where they'd posted their oath so that we could tell if it was the same right. thing that Tim Ballard was having right. people sign. Uh, but there were clearly uh, some of the people that were, there were involved connections. there yes. were also involved with this. Uh, and that was clear in the connection. Right. So uh, that and as we looked at why they were raising money to do the reign of the judges, that it, it goes right back to Tim Ballard. Their intent was it, and is to introduce the Book of Mormon to non-Mormons through these themes of freedom and yeah. oh come sign a thing about freedom and everything right. else and now we have your name and we can get you involved in these which and the ultimate intent is to bring them unto the gospel of jesus christ mm. and that's exactly what it said on their fundraising sites uh that that was the intent of the movie so here you've got do you mean the sound of freedom fundraising sites or this fundraising uh, on, site? the, on this on the fundraising for the reign of the judges which was yeah, oh, free, that's true free for yeah. the oath yeah. Uh, they were saying that we now know that that was the intent of the sound of freedom as yeah. well, but they didn't, they didn't make it as obvious or they didn't come out and say it. Although we know now that Tim Ballard was selling that idea with elder Ballard uh, right. to his group and raising funding saying, Hey, we're going to show these people, this movie all about freedom and things that'll make them emotional and that they'll want to get behind. But the ultimate goal is, is we then want to slip in this mm -hmm. Mormon version of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we read this oath, that's exactly what they're trying to do here. This oath is not about defending democracy and the rights of all people. They want to is is they want to defend democracy as long as it's a democracy of people who believe in in uh, in the same God they do. Yeah. And if you don't believe in the same God as they do, you're part of the cause of the collapse of the nation. Yeah. And they keep seeing and they're telling you destruction and anarchy are already ruling because people are turning from God. And so that's, you know, the only way to bring back the country and freedom is that everyone needs to believe in God, but not just any God. They have to believe in the Mormon God. Right. That's the way that uh, we save the country. And now they want to send out this oath and have people sign it and say, oh, yes, I want to do that. And of course, you're going to get every Mormon signing it. But the question right. then becomes, why do you need to sign an oath? You've already been baptized into the church. You're Most of these people have taken temple covenants to, to, to follow the church. They pledge allegiance in the school, you know, if you join the military, you take an oath to the country. If you're doing any polit politics, you take an oath to the country. 
why another oath? Well, we all know that that's how they capture you. That's how they bring you in. Let's get them to sign something. It's like when you go to the car dealership and they get you to sign something to say, if we get the car down to this, will you will you agree to buy it? Right. If they can get you to sign it, then, then they've got a hold on you. You made an oath. You made a promise you were going to do this. And that's the intent of this. And that's, to me, what was more disturbing than the movie, that they're trying to sneak in this white Mormon nationalism into a movie and they use all these words and you see it right here in the old freedom, truth, Jesus, God, divine maker, anything that'll buzzword it's emotion. And yet they're not really telling you that their intent is, you know, what, what is their intent? And we saw their intent. They, you know, stormed the Capitol, at least uh, the, the, the producer of the movie did. Um, So what, what do you make of that? I don't know. It it, it was very disturbing. Yeah, those were the, I think those were the themes, which is why we walked out. We even meant to like tape a little short after at the theater, but we were both like, we need to think about this. We're not sure why we feel the way we feel about it. And then, of course, the final scene is Moroni burying the plates. And then, you know, a little title comes up and it talks about, you know, these plates were not seen again until September 23rd, 18, you know, 23, when again, you know, of course, when Moroni visits and, and tells Joseph Smith that he, these plates are somewhere and he needs to go find them so it kind of ties it all in yeah there was one accurate point in the film uh at the very end after the credits as they were rolling up there was one sentence there that said uh this movie is based on fictitious characters <laughs> well you know they always put that this you know no animals were harmed no animals and, and were they put, and it's based on fictitious based, characters yeah, I, said, I thought that was strange yeah. i agree with that <laughs> oh my gosh ah terrible so I don't know. I, I think we've talked about it. I think that we will um, see others talking about this quite a bit and and mentioning and just trying to figure it out. Let's go to our final slide. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if I would recommend that people go see it. Although if you're curious about it, I, but then again, people are like, I don't want to pay for it. You know, there's that. So a lot of people have said, well, wait till it's online and then we'll, and then we'll take a look at it. So, and, but and, and- you know, I, I I've seen several of church movies that uh, I I really you know church based mm-hmm. movies that I I laugh at I enjoy you know a lot of the ones you know best two years of my life and, yeah and oh yeah the There's singles ward and those yep. that I've just you know I've enjoyed them and laughed along with them this was just really a bad movie it it just was not it was not a redeeming movie in any way I I, I just could not get into it and. From the look of the audience around me, I, I didn't really see anybody who seemed to really enjoy it. I, uh, you know, you, you can say you're a biased, uh, you're running a post-Mormon. Uh, That's right. You have to be, be- no, no, go, go, if you don't <laughs> believe me, go see it for yourself and you'll come back saying, oh, he was right. <laughs> Although I will say the soundtrack, the soundtrack was above average. I enjoyed that. And I will say that visually, you know, as they were traipsing around the forest in New York area, Heartland model, that there were some beautiful shots like that. But the rest of it, just confusing to me. So I, I was really surprised that it had a PG-13 rating, uh, you know, the, the yeah. uh, I guess if you don't show the blood of the killing, it's OK. But uh, but there 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 were some disturbing parts in there uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that was not for kids. Uh, right. Really. And and it's kind of funny that a PG thirteen would indicate don't 
no one under 13 should be seeing this. Yeah. And yet at the beginning, they say, rent the movie and bring your family for Christmas, you know? <laughs> I don't know if it's a Christmas movie either. I'm not exactly sure. So anyway, it's our first movie review, isn't it, Landon? Maybe the first of many, who knows? Other movies may come out that we want to cover, but we just felt that everybody was talking about this and it was just so unusual. So so please comment, let us know, have you seen it? Do you want to see it? What do you think of it? Are we way off base? Are there some things that we forgot to discuss about it? We were trying to go pretty quickly, but I think the bottom line is this will be discussed and continue to be discussed. Um, so please like and subscribe to Mormonish. And if you would like to be made aware of when our new episodes come out, you can hit that notification bell and then we'll let you know when new things are dropping. And as always, if you would like to support us financially, there are links in the show notes um, to PayPal and to Venmo. And we really, really appreciate all the people that do support us because it just means so much to us. And we love our viewers and our listeners and appreciate you all so much. And goodbye for now and happy movie watching, right? From Mormonish. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.